Hello and welcome to the Unformed Handball Hour. This is Brian, of course, I'm joined by Chris and Alex. And the World Championship in Spain 2021 is in the books. And we would like to officially congratulate Norway on winning the gold medal. And of course, Denmark picking up silver. And France coming in third place with the bronze. <laughs> Amazing, boys, huh? <laughs> Amazing. Amazing amazing final performance from Denmark on the final day, winning the bronze medal match so well that it got upgraded to silver medal. <laughs> really impressive. And France's second half performance was so poor that they were downgraded to third. That's... No, but I'm dead, I'm dead serious though about uh, the ha- Hassan uh... Mustafa's performance there after the final was, I, th- I think I've upgraded from top five to top three moments of the whole tournament. Really enjoyed that. I mean, it was like... The most cringeworthy car crash I think I've ever watched, but it was just so entertaining somehow. Uh, we confirm it that Norway is world champion. And Denmark, and Denmark second place. And France, the third place. Congratulations for the teams. Second Denmark. I'm not understanding. Just how he was reading his notes as he walked up, like God, like he just got handed those notes. He's like, oh Christ, what's this? Oh yeah, Spain, right. But a Spanish first, and then just read out first, second, and third place. A lot of talented handball players, perfect. And then that's it. Classic. The moment when like he said it and then people were telling him, okay, no, you, you got it wrong. And he's like, I, I don't understand. Sorry. And just continued on. <laughs> I am not understanding. <laughs> I mean, that's basically his whole career, isn't it? Like, I mean, when I was in Qatar, people were, were asking <laughs> People were asking him difficult questions and all he would say is, oh, sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. He literally would say that to people who ask him a really difficult question. He'd be like, I, I don't know what you're saying. And then he would give just answer something about handball being the best sport in the world. And everyone would be like, yeah, okay. Well, that's how you get out of the hard questions. A true politician. And Chris, you got to ask him a couple of tough questions, didn't you? I, I tried to. <laughs> so they had the, the end of the championship press conference on the Sunday before the bronze medal game. And that whole press conference was that, what you said, Brian, just, you know, reading from a piece of paper and saying, you know, where people are saying things that are so kind of like basic and wrong that you don't even know where to start because like anything I say here that's like, that makes any sense or any question that you give, which is actually like deep in any way, it won't even register or they'll just answer with a, a basic reply so i was really intrigued by the opportunity to interview him and uh, myself and a reporter from danish radio 
both like put her hands up straight away at the end saying, yeah, we'll take a one-on-one with him. And uh, we were brought then, like I said, okay, you can go to the mix zone and uh, he'll be there. So I was like, okay, that's perfect. Went to the mix zone. He is walking by. It was looked like he was going to go around the rope and then to the, the player's side of the mix zone, which is perfect. But there's a little blind spot in that area. And so he disappeared into that blind spot. <laughs> and then about 30 seconds later, I thought to myself, he's fucking walked away. <laughs> I've looked around the corner and there was nowhere to be seen. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know if it is a case of him being senile and just like, oh, like forgot what he was supposed to do or just being a sneaky snake. A little bit of both. I think is the answer there. So didn't get to uh, push him on many of the topics we've talked about. Uh, it feels like really there's no point because you see him do what he does after the game there. And you're like, well, what's the point in discussing anything with that man? Mm-hmm. What is the point? Yeah. Useless. Yeah. How the fuck did he get un- unopposed? And now every single handball nation in the world is to blame for this. Finton Lyons from the Irish Olympic Handball Association has the same power as the Danish or the German Federation, the Swedes. Only one didn't vote in his favor that was there at the Congress this year. How can you how can you possibly vote in favor of that man? Oh, oh it's incredible. Insane. It's, incredible. it's depressing, really, a little bit as well. It's depressing. Because I was looking at that and I was thinking, if you're tuning in now from a different sport and you see that's the guy who's leading the whole thing, it just looks so amateurish, the whole thing. Him waddling up, not properly taking his mask off to even to give the speech, just everything about it was just... And then getting the order wrong. I was like, come on. And from from looking at the video clip now, it seems like they, the cameras didn't capture what was the most hilarious thing. A lot of people wrote about it on Twitter, is that the Danes were ironically like jumping around and cheering having heard that they were in second place and they're like yeah god while while uh, while a section of the arena that actually heard him say that were like what and then started booing it was pathetic there was one more <laughs> thing you guys are gonna love this alex you love stats so this is this is right up your alley now right oh did you yeah. know uh, dietrich spade from the commission of coaching methods he said in terms of quality of the women's handball we've seen efficiency and attack increase from the 2019 World Championship from 51.6%, yeah, 51.6% to 55.1%, which means the quality is rising and getting closer to men's handball. Men's handball being 100% attacking efficiency, I presume. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you're on the Oh, you're on the right? That was just wrong on so many levels. How could they? They're probably paying for like 20 guys and girls experts to be watching this whole championship compiling these analytical papers and stats and they're like how is this a thing how how do you say like the attacking efficiency of the top eight teams increasing has anything to do with the sport except maybe pointing towards okay because they played a bunch of shit teams at the beginning of the championship that can, yeah, that, that's I mean, clearly that's, but even so that then how do you compare that how do you like say that has anything to do with its comparison to men's sport. Men's sport is completely Especially ridiculous. because this tournament has been defined by impressive defensive performance. Yeah. Like, really 
innovative, incredible defensive performances from a number of teams throughout the tournament. And that's kind of been the showcase in the whole tournament. And then that has no relation to handball being good because uh, that means people don't score as efficiently um, according to the top analytics guys in the IHF. But there was a final, if you remember. (laughs) In between those two ludicrous moments. Uh, there was a final, and, and, uh, and what a final. Talk about a roller coaster of emotions from, from implosion to implosion. One to remember. I think if you looked at the scoreline purely at the end, you'd think that was kind of a crap final, but actually was quite entertaining overall. Fully agree. What, what do you guys think was the, the turning point in that one? I have one of like two or three moments, but I think Alex has a moment, one that not many people are going to go for, and, and I kind of agree with him. So Alex, take it away. I don't know what... You think, I think. For me, the the moment was just before the end of the first half. And I think that's probably one of the more obvious ones, in my opinion, because of the mayhem that occurred there, where there was Mm. five two-minute sessions across the two teams in the last five minutes. But before that, France were in full control. Until minute 24, France were strolling through that first half. They were by six goals in full control and then that mayhem happened and I, I, I don't I didn't kind of analyze the exact two minutes I think most of it was justified maybe a bit harsh and there was like a, a stoppage in play where the referee had to check the uh, video a little bit but it just threw off France completely Norway got two goals back it reduced the halftime score to four goals with Norway having some sort of momentum. And then they, I don't know, they did what they did at halftime. Torrier said what he said at halftime and they came out a, a completely different team. But that glimper, um, glimmer of hope came from the chaos in those last five minutes. That's exactly what I was expecting you to say. <laughs> you say it's obvious, but I think the obvious one is they come out at halftime and score four goals in two and a half minutes and equalize i mean that is in itself a whole other thing but yeah i think that that those last five minutes and the the mayhem with everyone involved everyone from the delegates down to the players uh, everyone losing their shit uh, kind of allowed norway to to get a foothold in the game again but i think up until well into the 40 40 minutes uh mark we i think this was france still had a chance to come back into it and I think they really lost their heads around the four, especially when they took, when Krumholz took two timeouts within two minutes. And I, I was looking at that and I was thinking, he gave them a roasting in the 30, 41st minute. They went back out, nothing had changed. And then he did it again in the 43rd minute. And then nothing really, they, they were going nowhere from there on out. And I, I was looking at, it was like almost every attack they played, they had someone new in centre back. And I was like, okay, that didn't work. We'll throw. I think I saw. It, it, it was first no Conti, and then it was Insemenko, and then Pino, and then Zadi became back in within a, f- a space of about five or six attacks. And it was like, oh, that's not working. Next, 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 next. And it just felt like panic stations from everyone in France. Like they felt it slipping away from them, and then they just were trying to throw everything at it. And all they were doing was doing these switches and then shooting straight down the middle over the center block over and over again, or taking these really poor shots from the from the wings. Yeah, and it's not to downplay uh, Celia Selberg's performance, which was absolutely incredible. There was a period where she made nine saves from 10 shots. 
within that period, kind of across 15 minutes. At the same time, there's a bunch of turnovers for France. Um, but they weren't remarkable saves. Uh, of course, it was an incredible performance, but I felt that it was more down to France losing their head. And again, that started at the end of the first half when France lost their head a little bit with the chaos. They came out without a head uh, and just <laughs> left that head behind for the rest of the game and only scored two more goals in the last 20 minutes. That Pino penalty as well, where she just, like, I mean, that game was over by then, but she's just completely missing the goal. Then that was just like, yeah, that kind of sums up the second half for them. What did Norway do different between the first half and the second half? Or was it just completely down to uh, France collapsing? It feels like Norway managed to keep calm throughout it all. And that's what Stine Oftedal said to me. That's she was most impressed with the fact that they just didn't lose their didn't lose their own head in going six goals down. It didn't look too panicked, and they they probably know the way that they can play that they can do what they did at the start of the second half. Um, a lot of players who simply didn't perform in the first half. So Henny Rice came on for eleven minutes, and she was wasn't things weren't clicking for her at all in the in the first half and she said that herself as well uh they they tried to bring her in a lot and it just wasn't working there were turnovers there were she wasn't getting shots off then she got that goal right at the buzzer for halftime same for Nora Merck she was two from six in the first half some of the shots she took were just nowhere and then she scored the first goal in the second half Uh, and so I think when you have players like that who simply aren't scoring uh, it, it isn't working for them uh, and then they they managed to stick with that uh, and eventually found form i think that was the that was the main thing there were small adjustments in defense they sat back a little bit more so they weren't as aggressive in in defense and and uh, that seemed to to work out well for them and uh, and france i guess they were they were taking the shots that uh, norway wanted them to take Besides that, I don't think there was any huge difference. It was, it was just some individual players uh, began to hit form and the defence uh, made their small adjustments. Yeah, and interesting enough, France's 5-1 defence, which we've seen being completely devastating for the last number of years, the one with Enzo up in front, just didn't work either. And uh, Norway, I feel like that's probably something that Norway pre- prepared for, um, that exact defence, how to counter it. Um they were able to get through uh, continually. And there's this moment at the very end, which really, again, defined France's second half performance, where Enzimingo came out to like make a tackle or intercept a ball, and she slipped, and she fell on the ground and was on the ground looking backwards with a hand up as Norway burst through and scored a goal. And it was this really dramatic moment, a Renaissance painting, if you must, that uh, really defined that second half. 100% were prepared for it because we remember last year's Euro final where they were not prepared for that. They were really uncomfortable. and That almost cost them that final of the Euro, the second half performance in that defense. So, yeah, undoubtedly they had done a fair bit of training in the intervening time to be ready for that. I think for me, a really impressive aspect of it is just, the f- I think there's very few teams in national teams of women's handball that could come back the way Norway came back as well. I mean, to be six goals down like that in a final, I think a lot of teams would just completely crumble. And we saw then when Norway did come back, France weren't able to find their second wind at all. 
So I think just the mental fortitude that was in that Norwegian squad. I mean, they're very battle-hardened. We've seen them over the years in so many tough finals, especially against like the Netherlands back in the day. Um, and a lot of those, this, a lot of that squad is still there. So they have that experience to go on and you could really see that. And unfortunately for France, when they were pushed and then it was slipping away from them, they kind of just completely crumbled. That six goal deficit, what they also suffered in the first half against the Netherlands. And what was a, a do or die game for them back then? as well and they managed to turn that around uh and yeah it goes exactly with what you said it's that fortitude the belief that they can literally come back from anything because coming back from six goals is one hell of a turnaround considering they also went what seven goals ahead so it was a 13 goal turnaround in the space of 31 minutes super impressive and yeah carrie bratzit dollar was the mvp of the whole championship which uh, was something that wasn't was it on my mind, really, for some reason? Even though every time I wrote about her, she was like one of the top performers. She had an amazing championship, uh, made that position her own in the center of defense with Marin Ardell and in attack where I think she barely missed the shot in the entire knockout rounds. She uh, was a smart choice. Yeah, it's the, she's the first ever line player to win that award uh, at the World Championship. So is this the, the new era of uh, line players uh, all hail our new overlords the line players alexa exactly <laughs> following on from hendrik peckler's big mvp performance in the final four now dale you know the it's all about the line players now you, you have a good one you win <laughs> good goalkeeper good line player you're always lost <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad you said that who else do we have in the also team the goalkeeper was sandra toft Left wing was Coralie Lasource. Left back was Henny Reista. Centre back was Grassadi. Right back was Nora Merck. Right wing was Carmen Martin. Line player was Pauletta Foppa. Uh, Nathalie Hagman got in there as the top scorer. And best defender? There was there. no best defender. There was no the best defender. They got rid of the best uh-huh. defender one <laughs> to fit in Hagman as the top scorer. You know, because the graphic only allows for so much space. So they, they can only, you know, and in their classic political correct way, uh, they, they picked a team that encapsulated um, most, I think, every semi-final team. Um, so that got a little bit of pushback that is, you know, is this all-star team just a little bit too political? Yeah, Lena House that got ripped off there. Yeah, she's absolutely the best defender in this championship best defender in the world i don't know that that performance this tournament was absolutely incredible she averaged two blocks and a steal uh, every game which is miles above what we usually see in handball and you know that's just one small part of her performance yeah her and her like first and second wave counter-attacking as the playmaker slash shooter is uh so impressive as well uh, she's really kind of created a unique position for herself in that team which is perfect for what denmark want to do so yeah too bad that she's not in it um any other changes you like you would make to that team yeah i think so there's a couple of players that that i would have probably put in first and foremost hagman just had to be the right winger and martin had a, a usually good tournament you know the usual great performance but nothing too special Hagman's was genuinely special and 
she's not just top scorer. She is the best right winger as well. Two other ones potentially are, one is Yamina Roberts. So that's a tough one because she had an incredible tournament, but that loss against France, she she was shut down. But still, if you're looking at a full tournament, I think Henny was great. Her you know usual fantastic self, but you know as a non-starting player, as an impact sub as well. Also, because she was she was, I think she might have been more centre back than left back for Norway there, because they do those two positions are very interchangeable. But I think she often played played as the centre back there while. Heg Aronson was left back, for example. But anyway, the the second one is a bit left field, but I think Diona Hauser from the Netherlands had a fantastic tournament, and it, of course, it's very hard to give an all star place to a player who didn't even make the quarterfinals. But she was really a delight to watch. Um, like this, this surprising power from a, a player who really looks like a young girl but plays um she's such a great shooter such a powerful player uh, and that was great to see you know the normark one is yeah it's hard to displace normark isn't i did have house here written down as well um but yeah when you're when you're the ninth best team in the championship it's hard to hard to squeeze her in there but definitely uh, a future all-star team player Anyone else that impressed you there, Brian? Uh, when I first saw it, I think I was pretty uh, pretty happy with it. And I was reading online that some people saying Oftedal should have been in there, but I'm not, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure about that. But uh, I think I probably would have left it as, I do, I do agree with what Alex said about Natalie Hagman. I mean, absolutely bonkers tournament. Um, but we, you know what it's like, Chris, when you're picking, or whether they're picking the, the shortlist for these teams, there's often the whole aspect of we oh we need to have someone from this team in here because they got to a certain position and it's a uh, there is that aspect of political correctness when you're making these teams but I think overall it's not a, it's definitely not a bad all star team I think we've seen uh, a lot worse and there was no real outrage there was just some people saying I think uh, Stine Oftela was probably the the biggest one but she has just such fanatical fans that I did want her in every every single all-star team but I, I'd be fairly happy with that selection as it is yeah mm-hmm. often I did do well as the championship went on I think in the big game she had a, a very nice good role to play also the goalkeeper I think there's if there's ever one to give it to the two goalkeepers I mean Toft and Reinhardt I mean <laughs> I think Reinhardt probably statistics-wise was slightly better. I haven't looked at it in a few days, but I guess so. Yeah, it was. Uh, that was one in the Danish media that had quite a big divide. Mm. Uh, I think there was a bigger push for Reinhardt as the best goalkeeper. Yeah, hard to, hard to divide those two. I think they're both equally amazing. Uh, I have the. I do have the stats now, right? So. Reinhardt for the entire championship was 50%. <laughs> and that's with 141 shots faced. Uh, a Toft, 188 shots faced, 43%. It's phenomenal. 50% for an entire championship. <laughs> it's crazy. And potentially the greatest face save of all time. Yeah. That's worth a few saves, yeah. that one really, isn't it? 
Was was that? That's worth a few saves that wise, like you know. That should be five saves just for bonus points. Yeah. Every time a keeper gets a save to a face like that, that's that's worth five saves. Yeah. That, that's a that's an iconic picture for for Time now for Time Magazine or something. <laughs> that's it. Well, congratulations to Bia Dala for taking that picture, who is probably now like a bit raging for not watermarking it because it's been stolen by every single person and media outlet and handball. But yeah, at least people within the bubble of the the championship uh, were able to find out it was her and gave her the credit for it yeah amazing shot it also started off a little bit of debate on our uh, twitter about punishment I, I have very strong feelings uh, about punishment for a shot like that so under the current rules um that shot uh, shouldn't be punished it's really limited to the seven meters but there was some interpretations of the rules that may give an opportunity to punish such a shot from next year it is changing now so from the next from next month and there'll no longer be red cards for these shots from penalties but any kind of shot like that which is like unopposed the shooter it's a two-minute suspension so even if it's a yeah wing shot backcourt shot whatever henny rice that shot uh, that sm- was too fast for Cleopatra Darlow and it was like a, a left hook <laughs> that would have been even if it's from nine meters like that it would have been a two minute suspension yeah and I think I think that's right it, it has been addressed and that's the way to do it because I'm not saying that we should get rid of shots risky shots so you know when a player gets hit, hit in the face it's usually down to the wing player or whoever's shooting trying to get it above the shoulder or right above mm. the head with power that's a that's a risky shot, but there has to be some sort of deterrent for, for yeah. that type of shot that, you know, yes, you can take it, but if you do mess up, you will get punished. So yeah. you have to think twice about it because you just have to protect the goalkeepers in this yeah. case. Fully agree. You won't have uh, goalkeepers throwing their face in front of certain bad shots now, will we? I think it's, it's a goalkeeper who, if their head isn't moving, right, that's... Okay. And they get hit, yeah. So yeah. if they 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 could they won't be like seals <laughs> diving at the <laughs> diving at the ball. I was just I was just I, I was just imagining a really bad broken wrist shot and some guy just going huh? <laughs> <laughs> two minutes off you go. Oh you got me. You got oh, me no. <laughs> diving into the bottom corner with your face. <laughs> That's something I can picture. Three players. <laughs> do a great performance from Landine. Four head saves in a row. Oh gosh, yeah. Should we talk a little bit about any other impressions of the final weekend? I think the last impression is that our predictions were on point this championship. And I know we covered a lot of bases. <laughs> Bill, that, that like the permutation of no matter what Denmark will win the on the Sunday and no matter what Norway will win on the Sunday came true. Wasn't it no matter what Denmark will win on the Sunday and France will lose on the Sunday? That yeah, was that was it. Either way, both perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah, and while I tried to earlier in the championship be a bit different and uh, we were both uh, kind of hopping around permutations. Brian Capian went straight for it every single time and got it perfect every single time. 
So, Brian, any anything to say on that? I mean, it, it feels good, but it doesn't feel that good because, I mean, I was picking basically the favourites every time. So when you're picking Nora to win the, the championship, you can't feel that good about yourself. But look, I'll accept any awards that people want to send me. Like, you know, I'm happy to... I'm, I'm open arms here. It is Christmas coming up, so what did I win, Chris? Please tell me I won something. Like I said at the early in the championship, uh, respect, dignity. Yeah, yeah. I should, I should have and, put money on it, Christ. Get, and, a, and a pint in Budapest next month. Yeah, and that brings up a little question here because this championship was fairly predictable, and it feels like there are six teams uh, in the wins game, and actually on the men's side as well it's becoming quite repetitive the the top nations that we see coming into the semi-finals and the finals and there seems to be a a gap growing between basically the scandinavian nations um france and whatever team is kind of hot at the time spain in there usually uh, and the rest and and that gap doesn't seem to be closing uh, it, it's actually spreading for our part of course we had that great croatian performance in the last euros but you know it really feels like that second level of teams is just not posing a challenge to the top level of teams and is that something we should worry about you know is it going to get a bit boring or can you see the that second level of nations kind of being reborn and challenging the top teams i mean it was only two years ago where Croatia got to the final and we had Spain and the Netherlands in the final of the the Women's World Championship and then COVID has happened and I think that may also have a part to play when we think about if if we think about like how often teams particularly in the Balkans for example have been able to come together and and train or you know players in the second tier of of national teams that haven't let's say don't have players playing Champions League and might have had their leagues uh, completely uh, stopped for a year and i think that that was that showed even more in the lowest level but could also be a factor in the the second level uh, also i think maybe we can talk about this as being a trend if like for the next two years it's the same teams but it could just be a momentary wave but i do agree that this championship was uh, very predictable so much so that i did say in a strike spiller article or the headline that it was the unpredictably predictable championship because there were no surprises every single game you could have imagined it happening that way uh, in terms of the result there was no spain beating norway no netherlands beating russia um so yeah that was that is a bit worrying but i don't think long term it's necessarily worrying just yet isn't it incredible how we've done a good few podcasts now? how many podcasts have we done on this world championship was it four and I don't think we've mentioned Croatia once, have we? No. Also, yeah, last year they got, they were bronze medalists in the women's Euro. What are you talking That's about, right. Alex? I did, I did mention that. <laughs> oh, no. I did mention that in my initial point. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but like, it's, isn't that, it's incredible. Did, like that drop, I mean, does that prove the theory that they really can only play in empty halls? And as soon as there's a crowd there, <laughs> uh, it's just fall apart think, again. I think they, they had problems with COVID during the championship. Uh, mm. So. As soon as that happened, like uh, it lost four important players that uh, you, yeah, you can't really put them in the in the mix then, or you can't really blame them for not performing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I, do you really believe that it is like there is going to be a, a increase in that gap between 
teams. I mean, we also we've also seen Egypt become a real contender in the last year in the men's side. Yeah, and look, Brazil weren't a million miles away this time no. out for the women. You know, so I wouldn't be worried about it at all. But I mean, yeah, the Scandinavian teams are always. I mean, they're they're, they're especially Norway, a hub of of women's handball, so they're always going to be. Uh, for, I'd imagine anywhere for the next few tournaments up in the top three, so or, and a team to beat. But I wouldn't be quite worried yet because I mean we did see some some good outings from some some of the the small. I think I think I see someone like Germany, for example, would be very disappointed with how it finished, but delighted with how with how it started. So yeah, I wouldn't be quite worried yet. Yeah, I just don't see the gap, and I'm actually talking about now on the men's and women's side, mm. um, and my worry is really focused on the European teams as well. The pre in previous years there's always someone like Hungary, Poland, Serbia, Croatia. I'll I'll even throw in Germany there because they're not as consistent as and mm. uh, they should be. There's kind of always one of those teams popping up, kind of getting a surprise result, pushing through. And we're just seeing a bit less of that. Um, in the last few championships, and it, the, for me, the gap seems to be widening. That those those teams aren't catching up, and I hope they do. I really hope mm-hmm. they do to just kind of invigorate these tournaments. Because again, we're in the next European Championship. We're going to be talking about Norway. We're going to be talking about France. We're going to be talking about Denmark uh, again. And you just want someone else there to at least make it a challenge for them. In mm. the main round, for example, that's the that's what yeah. I want. Could be could be Hungary's Hungary's year to take on that mantle, you know, with the home home Euro. Well, yeah, and, and the next women's Euro, Slovenia is going to be the main host of the three. So big chance for Anna Gross and Co to make a breakthrough. But yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, one more, a an Iranian player disappeared. Did you hear about that? No, I didn't actually. That's, she left what, the fifth one now yeah four from cameroon now an iranian player has departed uh, and saying she wants to have a better future both personally and for uh, a sporting uh, side as well so that made the the main thing about that that makes me wonder is like now that something like that has happened will the iranian women actually get a chance again or will they will the government just like stop them it's like, well, actually, if you know, if you're going to run away, or if somebody's going to disappear every time, then we're not, we're not going to let you out. So, uh, yeah, interesting to see how that one develops, and that could be a, could be an unfortunate backlash to that. Yeah, yeah if, we'll if, see. If it becomes a thing, yeah, especially that will be unfortunate. But I wonder, it also, you know, the, that country's hosting will think twice now, or you know, have some reservations of this as a reoccurring event that that's a risk and you know might get pressure from external forces to uh not bid to host the championships and sure they're all happening in scandinavia anyway <laughs> over the next 10 years <laughs> it was barely news though in fairness like it wasn't exactly it didn't exactly do the rounds i mean the, the cameroon one did but i didn't even hear about that iranian one Anyway, fair play to her. We'll see you next time. Oh. <laughs> Before we wrap up, anything else happened in the handball world? I suppose there's there's actually been a lot that's happened in the handball world that we've completely ignored for the last couple of weeks. Nantes um, have been 
just the greatest show on earth. They had a full XXL arena for three games in a row and just lost to PSG, but then came back and won the cup, which is a, a great win for them. A really impressive performance, and it's just impressive to see how the club has grown. The Bundesliga is just pure nonsense with COVID cases. Fuchs of Berlin playing with nine players and still winning. Um, Kiel and Flensburg losing on the same day, uh, which are probably, I don't know when the last time that has happened. And Magdeburg looking like they're streaming through for a Bundesliga title that Chris will celebrate. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, we should, have, we should have made a bet like the hey, Gary Lineker... A tattoo of Christian O'Sullivan. I promise. I promise to present the first podcast of next season in my underwear, just for you two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Never mind. It's an audio podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's how. That's how. Where I'm going to go with that. No, the the version of Gary Lineker predicting or like promising that would happen is like if Erlangen won the Bundesliga, Magdeburg doing it and with their per- perfect 15 from 15 so far is uh well it is a surprise but not that big a surprise uh the fact that they've managed to win them all is amazing speaking of unbeaten seasons barcelona lost a game a game <laughs> that they lost due to administrative reasons uh since it was a rescheduled game and they played a player that wasn't registered at the time so it's heating up at the top of the Asabal League. Uh, heating up at the top of... <laughs> Sorry, hold on a second. <laughs> heating up because Granollers in second place are a mere eight points behind now. Well, it's heating up behind Barcelona anyway because there's five teams within two points hunting second place. Just to keep the the European League roundup going. There's a pretty amazing story happening in Denmark where Geo Gay are streaming ahead in the Danish Championship. It, Allborg are extremely lucky uh, that the Danish Championship has the playoff format um, because they're currently six points behind Geo Gay, um, who are just you know playing some incredible handball. And it would be pretty amazing if the season that uh, Mikkel Hansen arrives to uh, Albor. They are playing in the uh, European League. And Geo Gay, who are also losing all their best players next year. Uh, Gitzel leaving, Bergerud, he's gone, are going to be playing in the Champions League. That, that would be a pretty um, incredible story. Um, but they're looking incredible at the moment. And Albor really need to yeah, get their shit together yeah, to actually win that. Uh, just want, want to go back quickly to Spain because uh, I mentioned Granollero in second place, right? They played against Barca's B team in the Spanish Cup last week and only won that 46-43 in normal time, <laughs> which is incredible in its own way, but also the fact that they were playing against the B team from Barca who was within three goals of them. So I think Barca's A-team are pretty safe. Heating up. It's heating up. (laughs) (laughs) How about the Finnish league, Brian? The Finnish league? Cox and Dickon? Yeah. Jeez, you maybe look up stuff here, Chrissy. Actually, I've got another one. The Belarus league has had a shock. And Meshkov Brest season goes from worse to worse. 
in which they lost a league game for the first time since 2019 to Skaminsk. Oh. So uh, that's that's heating up as well. Dude, everything's heating up, isn't it? <laughs> Settling the whole the, actually the globe is uh, slowly <laughs> heating up. So <laughs> we're getting there with the season as well. Oh, Japan. Alex, you're excited about the future of Japanese handball. I'm excited for the future of world handball because this week the Japanese, it's not the Japanese Federation, but an organization in Japan has announced that a professional league is coming to Japan from 2024. And they'll have um, its own entities. I'm still not quite sure exactly what model they'll approach, but I think they're basically not going to use the same clubs that currently exist but kind of change them around a, a little bit to create a fully professional league which is pretty exciting we've seen japan kind of embrace a number of sports rugby probably being the the last one and really make huge progress there so it's exciting that you know we have this opportunity you know with with big names there already uh luca below and uh Jan Velasquez. it's it's a league that that's looks promising uh it'll be exciting to see what money they could get in there but actually i'm even more excited for the indian premier league <laughs> which is 100% definitely going to happen <laughs> well, okay. they, they announced it and it was actually supposed to start this year it was the the first tournament it was going to basically be uh, kind of one-off tournament uh, at the end of 2021 um, where all the new franchises, so they've created new franchises. I think four have been announced. They were supposed to compete in a tournament that was postponed due to COVID now until next year. But there is there's substantial money in it. I think um, roughly 40 million euro has been committed to this project. And there, you know, the handball playing population of India has been expanding a lot in a very organic and unstructured way. There's, you know, there's villages in quotation mark in India with 80,000 people playing handball. A bit of structure there, a bit of influx of money, and maybe that money brings some professionalism from Europe could create something exciting there. So, you know, there's, there's, I'm always excited for non-European teams, non-European activities. And those two definitely sound promising to me. Now, someone just has to do that in Brazil. That's that's the big one. That's yeah, the big yeah. money ticket. What I'm most excited about this is also the random European players that are undoubtedly going to be playing in these leagues, particularly the Indian one. Like, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, me and Rasmus Boysen going to look now uh, and play for the Golden Eagles UP, I could see that happening, you know? So, Chris, you asked me earlier about my uh, Finnish uh, recap of the season. Go so, I, firstly, I just, I'd just i like to say, like, SIF have been absolutely ridiculously bad. Like, you know, bottom of the table. have only won one game from 12. Absolutely disgusting. They deserve to go down. And to be honest, I'm, I'm shocked they even made it to the division in the first place. So, happy to, happy to say goodbye to them. But at the top of the league, my goodness, Dickin just using their name and just dicking all over the league. They've won 12 of 13 games, looking on an unbelievable streak. And they have that really stiff core in the middle of their team, going right up the backbone of their team. They're just incredible. And right behind them, you guessed it, 
Cox, do you know? A little bit, have gone a little bit soft in compared to other years, but they're, <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're right behind them on 22 points. They've lost one more game, so it's going to be some serious stiff competition to see who, at, at the climax of the season, which one uh, comes out on top. <laughs> this this doesn't play into any of your, of your puns, but why why do we have HC Tallinn in fifth place? Have they incorporated Estonian teams now? I think so. Yeah, I mean, with with teams like SAF, SAF knocking around in there, I don't fucking blame them. Do you know, get a few <laughs> Estonian teams in. <laughs> SAF could be fucking Estonian. I'm surprised that Tallinn are in there because there is a Baltic league helping at the moment but with teams from Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania uh, participating in one competition uh, and I would have thought that Tallinn would have been in there but maybe they, they decided that wasn't to their liking they were too good for the uh, Baltic countries and but, but they're, they are they are also playing in the Estonia league HC Tallinn so they're getting around big ambitions big ambitions so yeah in the last few weeks they've played they've lost to Dickin uh, they've beaten HIFK in the Finnish league uh, then lost to Alling Sauce in the European Cup and then uh, played a couple of games in the Estonian league wow there you go uh, you started with a world championship podcast you end with the exploits of HC Talon congratulations everyone <laughs> We did it. To everyone who's made it this far, <laughs> yes. you are truly, truly an incredible fan of Ham. Yeah, if you made it to the end of this, let us know and you'll get a shout out in the next podcast. Just comment, I'm swinging with the big dick in. Okay. And we'll, we'll, we'll give you a shout out. That's the password. Good stuff. <laughs> All right. I think it's time to leave it there. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Alex. And thank you for everyone, you dear people, for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>